it's a just a sort of common thread that really does connect us at a very human and kind of humbling level. And then the election happened, and then that was kind of the end of that journey. And about a week before inauguration, I, I got a call asking if I'd be interested in coming to D.C. for the presidential inauguration, and I, I said yes. I think I was one of the only people that had never, you know, really done anything like this before, and they gave me the best job ever, and I'm so grateful for that. Hello and welcome to the Theatre Art Life podcast sponsored by ClearCom. ClearCom is the leader in voice communications since 1968 for theatre and the performing arts. When the show must go on, ClearCom is there to keep the team on cue. The Theatre Art Life podcast puts the spotlight on those who create live entertainment around the world, the culture creators and the backstage masters. My name is Kat Landry. My name is Anna Rob. And today we're speaking with Alana Clapp. Alana Clapp is currently the general stage manager at Mystère by Cirque du Soleil. Alana began her career with Cirque du Soleil in 2009 with the show O at the Bellagio. She joined the stage management team of Mystère in 2012 and is currently the general stage manager for the company's longest-running Las Vegas production. An advocate for arts educational programs and student mentorship, Alana has presented at various universities throughout the country. Some of her favorite roles outside of Cirque include guest lecturer at the College of Southern Nevada, advisory panel member for the Stagecraft Institute of Las Vegas, mentor with the USITT Stage Management Mentorship Project, along with a number of events for film, television, and professional sports. Outside of the entertainment industry, Alana can also be found serving as an advanced associate for the Office of the Vice President of the United States, as well as an alexicologist with creative branding agency, Haystack Needle. Alana, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. We are loving these extracurricular activities that you have on your bio, so we are going to get to those. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> but we, uh, before we get started, I know just before we were off air, we wanted to talk a little bit about um, the passing, recent passing of Franco Dragone, because you work on Mystere, which is one of his iconic shows, and obviously, for those who don't know who Franco Dragone is, he's one of the most influential people in how Cirque du Soleil became Cirque du Soleil in the early days. And um, he unfortunately passed away in the last 24 hours of a heart attack. So I just wanted to acknowledge that to the global community of, of that moment because it's quite significant for those people who work in the industry. And I also wanted to sort of reach out to Alana and say, you know, how is the company of Mister doing? And um, uh, I heard that you did dedicate the shows last night to, to Franco. Is that the case? Yes, absolutely. And, and certainly it's a... a immense loss for the company, for his company, and also for the entertainment industry in general. Um, I mean, there's really nobody uh, that was in that same universe in terms of creativity and, and his contribution for circus arts and, and for entertainment. And uh, we are very, very sad and send uh, immense condolences to his family and to his friends and uh, to the industry that really lost this titan of, of a um, visionary. As far as Mystere goes, you know, it was a somber day and uh, there are still people that work at Mystere that that were there from the beginning and worked with him through creation, as well as a number of people that had been on other shows 
of his, such as um, of Larev and other projects that he worked on and, and knew him personally. Um, and so it was, it was very sad and, and, and very, you know, very somber. Um, and so we, you know, we, we said words and, and, and spoke of his legacy at our company meeting earlier that day. And then uh, for shows that evening, uh, the character that gives the opening speech for the shows made a tribute and, and uh, offered our condolences and dedicated uh, the shows to him and his memory. Amazing. Well, thank you for sharing that with us. Um, I hope that uh, everybody over there is uh, going to be able to take a moment and then, uh, you know, acknowledge his contribution to the industry. So thank you for sharing that with us. So for you, your your path, you have your own journey into the company of Cirque du Soleil. So tell us a little bit about how you became a stage manager and how you came to work or be the general stage manager of Mister in Vegas. So my my I feel like my career thus far and and a lot of different things that I've done kind of starts out as always do this temporary thing for a minute and then you get to go back to whatever it was that you were doing and then it never happens that way and I just wind up staying in the next role but I actually first got involved with Cirque in high school when the touring shows would come to town. I'm from St. Petersburg, Florida, and uh, they would set up tents for the tent shows in the parking lot of Tropicana Field. And one day my friend and I saw that they were coming to town and we thought that would be a really cool thing to try and apply for. And so I applied to be an usher. And that was when uh, Alegria came through in uh, 2004. And I got to be an usher for Cirque du Soleil. And I thought that was the greatest gig of all time because I got to uh, watch the show every night in the tent in the you know back corner and um, I was loving it and I got to meet all these people and I was just having the time of my life and so uh, you know I was I, that's when I first kind of was familiar with the company and several years later I, I went to college and was um, starting to head into my uh, senior year and looking for summer internships to get involved with. And I saw an email pop up about how Cirque du Soleil was going to be at uh, USITT and that they were going to be holding interviews for internship positions. And I thought that was amazing. So I uh, put in my application and I met with some people. And then a couple months later, I got a phone interview and wound up getting an internship over at O. And I was super ecstatic about that. And so I went to O and I had a great time doing that internship but I need to go back to um, university to finish my degree. And so I went back for my senior year. About two months before uh, graduating, I got a phone call from Joe Walsh, who is still the GSM over at home. And uh, they needed some assistance just short term on a temporary basis, maybe for uh, six or eight weeks while somebody was um, temporarily filling in over at Zumanity. And I didn't tell my professors about the temporary part. I just said that they offered me a job and can I please leave early? <laughs> and they thought that was great because they thought I had a full-time job. And I said, okay, great. So I'll see you later. Thank you so much. And I'll come back for graduation. <laughs> so I went back to O and then uh, the person that I was filling in for never came back from O or never came back to O. So I stayed at O for about three years. And during that time, I was an ASM um, about a year after that, somebody else left on a temporary basis. Um, so I became a stage manager and I wound up uh, calling the show for about a year. Those puzzle pieces started to come back into place um, right around the time that a position opened up over at Mystere. So I went to be a stage manager at Mystere. 
And then again, uh, they needed someone to fill in just for a couple of months while my uh, boss uh, at the time, Armand, uh, went to go close one of the shows on the road, but he was coming back. So you only have to do this for a, a short period of time. And so I stepped into the GSM role and then he never came back. And here we are <laughs> several years later. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Um, Alana, when you first started at Cirque and then when you first started as GSM, you're very young compared to your peers on the other shows uh, in Vegas. Could you give a little bit of advice to any young women in leadership positions who might be listening to this podcast? Yeah, I, I was very young. Um, I forget about, I, I forget that sometimes because right now we're really seeing more and more doors open for um, young people, especially young women in these roles. And, um, but I forget that that was me, you know, too. And uh, the advice that I would give, you know, as with anybody in, in all kinds of roles, there, there can be a, a certain level of self-doubt or imposter syndrome that I actually find very comforting on, in the sense of, I think almost everybody feels that truly at, at some level, at some, you know, time in their careers, or they currently feel that in roles that they have been doing for several years, myself included. I find that actually to be very comforting because in the times that I get very overwhelmed with worrying if I'm good enough or if I can do it. I, I click back into the thought that all the people that I feel that I look up to or the people that I might be even a little intimidated by also have those same natural feelings at the exact same time and probably at the exact same intensity or maybe even more than, than everybody else. And I find that to be really connecting in a way rather than isolating, which a lot of people can really lean into, you know, I'm the only one that feels like this. There's something wrong with me. Um, I shouldn't be doing this when the reality is it's, it's a, just a sort of common thread that really does connect us at a very human and kind of humbling level. And so I would use that to your advantage because it really can force you to be, uh, come great things rather than just uh, retreating back into the shadows about it. It is something that can be a motivator. Um, it's something that can be comforting at times, knowing that you're not the only person that feels that way. And that has served me very well in this journey. Mm. That's really interesting. Just to sort of go back from my context, Kat might know this, but I don't. The, the degree that you did, what, what was the degree that you were studying before you left for Cirque? So I got my degree in uh, production technology and management is what the degree is in with a focus or emphasis on stage and production management, um, which is a, a BFA at Carnegie Mellon University. Right. Okay. Fun fact for our listeners, Alana and I did the exact same program, uh, but didn't run into each other. We, we just missed each other. Just CMU. missed each other. Thank oh, you for adding you know. the just. <laughs> It's a You're small welcome. world. It's a small world. So you did sort of train in a more traditional sort of uh, production theatrical sense and then the Cirque world is another beast altogether, I guess. So, like, can you describe for people who maybe not familiar with the, the job of stage management or particularly circus stage management, what do you see as some of the unique job duties or responsibilities that you have as a stage manager in the circus world that's a little bit different from a more theatrical show? Yeah, so I, it's funny because by the time I finished um, getting my degree, I was pretty uh, set on not being a stage manager. Um, it was just not something that I was 
all that interested in at the end. I, I wanted to have a little bit more stability. I wanted to have a little bit more focus in a, a more corporate environment. I think that's part of my upbringing. My parents both work, you know, in corporate America and that's what felt familiar and right to me. And, and that was kind of what I was looking at uh, moving on. So I wanted to work more in um, production or event management and try to find a, a large event company that I could um, be of service to. And so that's really where my focus was heading. But Cirque stage management and circus stage management encompassed all of the things about stage management that I do really enjoy. Um, we don't, for example, really have a rehearsal process, which I found to be not my favorite part. We don't really have, you know, to go through the things like taping out sets or, you know, I, I wanted to do shows. That was my, my, my favorite thing. I wanted to be around the live entertainment part. I wanted to get energy from a live audience, seeing something. That was kind of the, the one part about stage management that I really enjoyed. And coming to Cirque, where most, uh, most more often than not, unless you're working on a creation, as we know, you know, these shows have been set. And in the case of Mysterino and you know, these shows have been running for years and years and years. Mystere is coming, you know, it's 29 years this year for us. Next year will be 30. In just under 900 shows, we will surpass Phantom of the Opera as uh, the most uh, shows ever done in live entertainment, which is insanely amazing. It's madness. It's madness. It's madness. <laughs> it's so exciting. It's so exciting. And, and, and to be a part of, of that has been really, really awesome. And so, you know, you're working with large casts, which, you know, would be more similar to opera world than you're working with very technically complicated shows with automation and rigging, which is a little bit more um, reminiscent of, of rock and roll and, and live concert world. It combines all of these parts of the industry of, of different facets of entertainment that I enjoy so much and, and also provides me that little stability line of the same company, a corporate company, that's got that's got that sort of power behind it where I'm not having to gig out after shows close, you know, every couple of months or every couple of years, but still is really new and interesting and different every night. Um, and having grown through the ranks of stage management with Cirque into the company and into the way that the general stage management position has developed thus far has also been very interesting because the the general stage management position when I first started with the company is certainly not very familiar at all to what it is that this role does now, especially within the resident shows division. Um, once they went through some structural changes and created um, these senior levels of teams that manage more than one show, which is the team that I report to, and then the operations team of which I'm a part of, that's really responsible for daily operations. Um, and, and artistic um, continuity night, on a nightly basis. Um, so it has switched a lot and has been a really fascinating, interesting journey and has provided some additional challenges that I think um, might have, it might have felt a little bit stale after so many years with the company if I hadn't had that opportunity for growth. For listeners who might not know much about the structure of stage management teams within Cirque or Circus in general, could you explain just a little bit what the general stage manager is and how it differs from a traditional, say, production stage manager on another show? 
Absolutely. So the closest parallel is going to be to a production stage manager, um, if you're thinking of more of the Broadway model. So the stage management teams for the resident shows division at Cirque du Soleil have a general stage manager, which manages a team of varying size from Asterix 4, and you will have both stage managers and assistant stage managers on that team. Now, the difference between stage managers and assistant stage managers is, is really just that stage managers call shows and assistant stage managers do not. There's really no other um, set hierarchy within the office, at least um, not within uh, the teams that I've been a part of, that the rest of the duties and responsibilities are shared. Um, and that's really just the only difference is that they call shows and, and ASMs do not. Outside of that, you know, they're really responsible for uh, the show each night, getting it up and running. And that includes casting the show, any schedules that need to be done, any projects that need to be done, health and safety checks, making sure that people are properly trained and, and checked off in the programs that we have to monitor that. And, and as far as the stage management teams, both stage managers and assistant stage managers, they're the ones that are working on show responsibilities on a nightly basis. The general stage manager um, then is really looking as forward, you know, thinking. They're they're planning for the next weeks and months. They are um, working through integrations of new artists and put-ins, um, and they're relaying uh, that information to the senior teams, which may only see you, you know, once or twice a week. And so the artist management then falls on GSMs, you know, the, the training and integration of new performers falls on GSMs in um, coordination with the coaching staff and PMED staff and the responsibility of translating all of that work that's being done to your senior teams so that they are, you know, really uh, involved and have their pulse on what's going on with your shows. But it has become much more artist management driven in addition to the management and the development and growth of your own um, team. We also have uh, on-call ASMs uh, that live in town that can come and help cover the shows. And we also have interns like myself way back when that, you know, is it's a really important thing that I uh, feel very invested in um, and in for this company. Uh, several points throughout working at Mystera, the team was made up entirely of um, former interns from the program. And, and I find that program to be very successful, as you know, and, and turning out uh people that are really valuable and, and a strong, you know, a, str- a really strong turnout for this company for future, you know, you know, employees. When I was at the House of Dancing Water, I had a habit of hiring interns as well. Because like, if, you, if they came and spent six weeks with us, they'd be like, well, you know how to do the show, you stay now. Exactly, <laughs> let's, exactly. Let's keep you. <laughs> the best way to do it exactly so thank you for sh- thank you for sharing that it's really interesting aside from your actual job as um as the gsm i see that you're quite invested and involved in um education in the arts and so mm-hmm. only people that get involved in that are people that are um, passionate about it so why is um education uh, important to you i think you know i was very fortunate i had extremely loving and supportive parents and i have been very lucky to be going through arts education programs since I was a a kid. Fourth grade was um, the start of it when they created a new magnet program in um, Florida that I I went to. Um, And so I've just been surrounded by it uh, my whole life. And I've seen not only how my life has been positively affected by it, but by how many peers have been positively affected by it. I have an endless number of friends that go back all the way to that time in, in school that continued to be in the industry 
whether it's um, on stage or off, film, television, or uh, live theater. And uh, that has continued through middle school and high school and, and through college. And, and uh, I think recognizing and realizing what a special community, what a small community, special community, um, which I think was made much even more evident by what we went through during the pandemic, that we're all very lucky to be a part of the industry and, and be able to be of service in this type of role. And uh, so I think that it's important to continue that on and knowing that as the world changes, there are lots of different options and avenues of, for people to find different passions and theater and entertainment will continue to um, have to work against visibility issues when it comes to bringing in new talent and um, the next great people to fill these shoes. And the only way that we're going to be able to sustain what we have all collectively found so important um, for our lives is to foster the next group of people that will come in and take care of the stuff that we have cultivated. Um, so I, I do think it's really important. And, and I know that I have heard other people on your podcast talk about how life-changing the arts are. And I think all of us in that industry uh, truly believe that and stand by that. And, and it's important that it, it continues long after we go off and do whatever else is next. That's amazing. Thanks, Alana. And now a note from our sponsor. The Theater Art Life podcast is proud to be sponsored by ClearCom. ClearCom is the leader in voice communication since 1968 for theater and the performing arts. When the show must go on, ClearCom is there to keep the team on cue. You can find them at clearcom.com. Go check them out. So I actually have a very quick story that I'd like to share. When I first met Alana, um, she was an instructor for the USITT Cirque du Soleil uh, Elite Training Program in Vegas back in 2016. Um, she and Stacy Myers, uh, also from Cirque du Soleil, taught us many valuable lessons. Um, it was like 10 college students um, all there just ready to soak up information about surf and stage management and life. And the one lesson that stuck out the most to me, um, and I've said this to Alana before, is basically she told us there is more to life than just your dream job. She said, you have to get out of your comfort zone, go see the world, try new things. Don't try to skip to the last chapter. And that was such an important piece of advice um, for me, I'm sure for all the others in the room as well. But it's the thing that then got me to go and do cruise ships and go move to Dubai and now be on tour. And it was just such a valuable piece of advice. And now I see that you are getting to step out of your comfort zone and do things outside surf. And you have been taking on a lot of cool new roles, one of which is as an advanced associate for the Vice President Kamala Harris. Can you tell us about that experience? How does it relate to your stage management experience? How did you get into that? What's it like? Thank you for sharing that story because it is something that's really important to me. And, and I'm so glad that that stuck with you. And uh, in part, I tell that story because I didn't really take that advice for myself. And so it's important that I just share that and be sort of open and, and vulnerable and, and sort of talk about the things that I kind of had wished although my path has been amazing and I wouldn't change it for the world, there is another side to it. And I, and I hope that 
people also listen to that because I think, you know, as stage managers, we we want all of that. And that's what a lot of the personalities that gravitate towards stage management lean into success, the needs for success based off of the projects that I'm doing and the goals that I have being a very goal oriented person or having these big dreams and, and wanting to get there so bad so quickly. So it feels kind of like a natural fight against, you know, I'm, I have to get this job. If I don't get this job, if they don't take me, then it means I'm a terrible stage manager and all of those kinds of things. And it's, that's absolutely not true, but it is typically the personality that we find most in, in our line of work, right? So I am finally taking my own advice after many, many years. And I just, you know, as people will talk about how horrible the pandemic was, and certainly it was horrible, you know, people lost loved ones, I lost loved ones. And, uh, it is in no way to make light of the horrible situation that we went through. However, uh, the pandemic provided me an opportunity to be able to try something different for uh, the ability to do that. I am grateful um, because I found myself in this totally random world that I have known nothing about. But essentially, again, going back to my like fluke of, okay, just do this for a little bit and then it'll be over. That's kind of how this all started. I was, because we were out of work for so long, I was going back and visiting my mom in Florida. I was spending a lot of time in Florida. Um, and this was right around the campaign time for uh, the Biden-Harris campaign. Um, I'm not a, a, you know, politically, I'm, I'm not typically a politically involved person is what I would say. I'm very private about my political views. I am not a very vocal person um, about a lot of that. And I think it's just because I'm really lucky and fortunate that the people in my life are like-minded and we are not, you know, we don't necessarily engage in a lot of political discourse, I guess is what I would say. I find it very stressful and very uncomfortable to be completely honest. And um, I realize that that is a luxury and privilege that I have, but I, I, it's just not the world that I really ever came from. And so being in Florida during campaign, I didn't really think anything of it, to be totally honest. But uh, very one of my very close friends, Adam Moser, has uh, a best friend. Her name is Allie. And I've known Allie for years because they were coming to Las Vegas as a uh, staffer for uh, the administration, the, the Obama administration. And then after that, she was working on the Clinton campaign for the White House. Allie has a stage management background. She went to CCM just like Adam did and was trained in stage management and wound up never going there. To my knowledge, she went into politics pretty quickly and has stayed there ever since. Uh, so Allie was working for the campaign at the time and they, they needed some help because with the pandemic going on, the campaign was not flying staffers in. They didn't want to put people on, people on planes. So they were only letting people drive in. And Florida, especially South Florida, is a far drive from anywhere, especially DC. <laughs> so there just weren't a lot of people that were coming or able to get there. And Allie found out that I was in Florida. And although I arrived on a plane, it wasn't through the campaign. So I was, I was kind of in the clear at that time. And uh, she asked if I could come and help them out. And if it was something that I wanted to do, and I said, sure, I have no idea what I'm doing, but I'm happy to do that. I drove to Jacksonville and I, I started working on the campaign. And a lot of it was stage management-esque, you know, getting the site ready and um, cueing walk-on music and making sure microphones were set. And then you add this really weird layer of like secret service <laughs> and 
crowds and things like that. And, and it, it all gets kind of jumbly. But I remember the first event that I did for them being so excited because it was the first time in a really long time I had seen an IATSE crew working. And I remember feeling really excited about that and, and hopeful about that because it was kind of at a time where we were thinking, who knows how long we're going to be here. And I remember seeing that crew and I remember taking photos of the crew setting up the stage and thinking that that was just amazing. Uh, so I went through campaign with them and I was working for uh, then Senator Kamala Harris and, and former Vice President um, Biden. I would do events for both of them as well as other political affiliates, governors, senators, celebrities, you know. And then the election happened and then that was kind of the end of that journey. And about a week before inauguration, I, I got a call asking if I'd be interested in coming to D.C. for the presidential inauguration. And I, I said yes kind of reluctantly. I was excited to do it, but some crazy things went down in D.C. just prior to the inauguration. And so I was a very apprehensive about being in the D.C. area. And so I went there and I was a media logistics manager for uh, the parade route, which um, for people that don't know, after the president and vice president get sworn into office, there's this ceremonial sort of parade that happens um, the motorcade drives down Constitution and then turns onto Pennsylvania Avenue. And then they get out of the motorcade and there's this procession of them walking um, down Pennsylvania Avenue into the White House or into the Dwight Eisenhower building, which is where the vice president's office is right next door. I had the greatest job. I was the, I think I was one of the only people that had never, you know, really done anything like this before. And they gave me the best job ever. And I'm so grateful for that because I got to, so it was in two parts. The first part was setting up the, where all the press goes along that route. So all of the international press and um, the national press and local press where, you know, Al Roker will stand and there's risers and who gets to go where, and they build this fake sort of house right in front of the White House for all of the press to be there. Um, obviously, it was a very strange time because there were no crowds in addition to that. And so kind of organizing uh, all the stuff that the press were going to do. But then for the parade, I was basically the body person for the steady cam operator. So in addition to the press that sort of view it from the sidelines, there's a small pool of press that travel in a basically like a flatbed truck ahead of the motorcade. And this might be a, like a group of 10 or so, and still photographers and reporters and things like that, um, that are allowed to be there on the ground several feet away. And then the news channels kind of have the opportunity to, I don't know if bid is the right word, but one news channel gets selected every year, or every four years to be the representative on the ground and all the other um, channels get to use the footage from that one uh, camera truck. And in addition to that camera truck, there's one steady cam operator and that steady cam operator usually walks between eight and 10 feet ahead of the principals backwards down Pennsylvania Avenue. And I was the bodyguard. <laughs> so I basically just made sure that no other press, no service members or anything like that would run into the camera for the shot. And so what that meant was I was always, I, I just did the procession with the president and vice president and my mom loved it because you could see me walking down the street on the news. And so it was, that was, it was an amazing experience. It was a really uh, long, cold, tiring day. And, and, uh, but to be there for that was just really awesome. And then that ended and I thought that was a really cool, like life moment. And then a, a couple months later, 
I find out that uh, the vice president's coming to Las Vegas and somebody asked me, oh, did you work that trip? And I said, no, I did not work that trip. And I said, oh, that's weird. We should put you on the list. And I said, oh, okay, whatever. I don't know what that means. And then I started getting calls, a lot of calls <laughs> about, can you go here? Can you go to Connecticut? Can you go to Delaware? Can you go to, you know, all of these different places as, as an advanced associate? And so it's just kind of rolled in, into that. And, you know, I don't get to do it as much, uh, anymore now that I've gone back to work full-time. So I am often sticking to West Coast trips, Vegas trips. You know, luckily they, they come to Vegas pretty frequently. Or if they really need me, I'll just fly out for a couple of days to assist. But essentially, a, a, an advance associate is somebody that advances the, the visits of the principals, meaning they go and set up public-facing um, appearances. They work with the White House on finding appropriate sites and participants and press and um, so they're really the teams that organize all of the public facing events that you see or read about uh, with the president or the vice president. And uh, there are advanced um, departments for all kinds of positions in government at all levels, not only the president and vice president, but also cabinet members. You'll see um, that there are other staffers for uh, governors and things like that. So it's this whole sort of world that I had never known about that I know that most people don't know about, but it does make sense when you, you know, put it in, when you think about it, that there needs to be people that organize these very last minute, very stressful, very condensed, you know, visits and trips, which can include, you know, overseas trips. The vice president just got back from um, Korea and Japan. um, And there are whole teams of advancers that go there weeks um, early to make sure that those those visits are all set up. So it's been fascinating um, to do and to learn about. And I've enjoyed so much uh, doing something outside of this industry and meeting a whole new group of people that have just been really awesome and wonderful that I never would have met had I not, uh, you know, started in in something different. And that's been really, really, really cool. I realized that was like um... the longest answer of all time. (laughs) No, but it was a, it's a, it's great to to hear that whole story. And first of all, I want to be the camera guy's bodyguard for next time. But um, so I'll sign me up for that one. Um, but also just to sort of understand and see that that stage management skills can be quite transferable into other industries, right? And so generally, it's it is a management role. And then having those skill sets that you may have learned at university or by attrition in in your theatrical work, you know, microphones and making people up and planning and coordination and schedules and I mean it's it's the same stuff right so it's really interesting that that can be applied to and we have interviewed a couple of people that have entered into the political realm and like you said that they've loved it it's just been a nice uh, a way to have some more diversity to their career yeah in fact we find uh, people that I've met with there are a lot of people that have a theater background I think there was at one point I was interviewing for something and the woman had been working at a Peppermill for uh, several years prior to joining the administration. I was like, oh my goodness. So yeah, we're, we're all over the place. Uh, and, and you're absolutely right. I think that a lot of people really discovered that, especially in pandemic when they maybe needed to pivot a little bit, that while there are a lot of skills that are very transferable in this industry and, and that your biggest challenge will really just be how, how do you translate what it is that you do currently into uh, the terms that another industry might know. And, and I know 
uh, Kat has uh, practiced with that in, in the movement with um, the PMP and project management and seeing how, you know, oh, a lot of this makes a lot of sense and it's just this and it's just that and and this means this in their language. And, and uh, that really, I think, has been the, the biggest hurdle is just the translation between different industries. But once you figure that out, I mean, I, I think that people have found out very quickly how valuable um, we can really be. One of the best descriptions I've heard of a stage manager is we manage people, places and things. And that can be applied to almost anything. Um, so I love that you are just you're you're jumping out of the box and, and testing out how that theory applies to different parts of the industry. It's very cool. It's nice to see you doing that. Thanks. So before we finish up, Alana, so, uh, and thank you for your time thus far, we have two questions that we always ask our podcast guests. And so if you've listened to our podcast, you probably know what they are. The first one is, what is your most favorite thing about the job, your job or the industry that uh, keeps you in it? So, and I'm sure people have said this uh, many, many times, but it's the people, you know, I think that the people can be the most beautiful, wonderful part and the most challenging at the same time. And I think that those two things to exist in, in a favorite category are, are actually really important because challenges kind of help you appreciate the, all the great things that can come from um, that can come from situations also. And so the people um, have always and continue to be uh, my most favorite part of the industry that we do. You know, as I mentioned before, I think that we're all very lucky um, to be able to be in any facet of entertainment, on, off, support, creative, administrative, whatever that may be. Um, I view entertainment as a service-based industry in the sense that um, we are providing a necessary service to uh, humanity and to people in all facets, uh, in, in all you know different ways that that word can be applied. In addition to, we are of or in service of the people that we um, are around and the art form that we are creating. Um, so kind of service across the board. And I find that comes with a great amount of responsibility when you're talking about management and people management and how can you be of appropriate service to them and to the production or, or to the work that you're doing. And so it is, it is the people that keep me engaged. It's the people that have kept me grounded and have uplifted me and supported me when I needed it most. And I feel that that's the running responsibility that we all have in turn is to continue to make it about the people and to make sure that that is what we're putting front and center when we're talking about the art form and the work that we are continuing to do. That's great. And if you could change one thing about your job or the industry, what would it be? If I could change one thing about my job or the industry is, is, really to just make it as accessible as possible to everybody from all corners of the earth. Cirque du Soleil has a very vast reaching um, hand when it comes to its international presence, but there's a lot of work to be done there and a lot of people who can really benefit from and in turn us benefit as well from 
continuing access to the arts and to education about the arts. And that's why I think it's important that companies like Cirque continue to invest in that next generation outside of their own, you know, comfort zone, that they really try to broaden not a market of viewership necessarily, but a market of awareness that there are, there's, you know, magic in the world that is attainable and relatable and and something that exists. And so, you know, I wish that everybody that everybody knew, you know, you know, on all four corners of the earth that we were, you know, who we are and, and that entertainment can provide such a necessary, impactful healing journey for so many people that can really be life-changing for sure. Amazing. Thank you so much, Alana, for spending uh, time with us today on the podcast. I really appreciate your time and your fascinating story. But we have one more thing you need to explain to us because we said it in the bio (laughs) and people might be wondering about it. So you're going to have to explain what a lexicologist is before you leave this podcast. So tell us what a lexicologist is and what this random side hustle that you also have. (laughs) Yes, a lexicologist is just a very ridiculously fancy word, uh, basically for somebody that comes up with names for companies. So I uh, have some really great friends who have taken really great care of me and and have uh, found me this really fun path of working with, again, a new group of people. Um, And that job essentially is just a really fun brainstorming session with myself. And uh, I submit names for companies to change their names to. And uh, it's been really fun and really fun getting to, again, meet and, and, and talk with a whole new group of people about this. Um, and it's a way to be really fun and creative with absolutely zero pressure <laughs> at all. <laughs> um, so I have, I have enjoyed it and I, I have enjoyed um, getting in touch with my, my creative side again. So yeah, I, I come up with names with, for new companies, which I feel like sounds very easy, but it's surprisingly difficult when you think about how many companies there already are in the world and that you need to create new ones. (laughs) That's amazing. A woman of many talents. Thank you, Alana. (laughs) Thank you so much for having me. It's been great. Thank you, Alana. Theater at Life is a global media site for entertainment. Memberships start at only 38 US dollars per year. You can have unlimited access to our daily published articles, including entertainment news and the writings of active industry professionals, ensuring that you are always up to date on the global happenings in the world of entertainment. Become a part of the international entertainment community and join us now at www.theaterartlife.com.